It was like I had just enough responsibility uh, to like not hurt anything, and I got just enough pay to get by, which I think was welcome to the church. Yeah, it's ministry, bro. <laughs> and this is Pod Russell. This is Pod I'm John Stevens. Yeah, I want to just welcome um, Lil Alaman. That was good. That's good. Did I do that right? Good. So good. Who's uh, who I've just met, who has now become uh, one of my favorite people on the planet. We're um, big homies now. I feel it. Yeah, I can. There's there's connection there that's a God thing, and I just I trust mm. it. Um, but um, would you just tell us a little bit about who you are and um, yeah. and a bit about your story? Uh, so whole name is Lauren Excel Alleman. Um, when I was a kid, they called me Lolo. It's way less gangster than I feel currently. <laughs> so <laughs> draw one of the low Lolo. Yeah, yeah. Lolo does not strike that fear fly. in the heart of men. <laughs> it doesn't fly. Uh, not in Compton. So we, we drop one of the lows off. Um, I'm a preacher, uh, husband, dad, poet, storyteller, and I like Jesus a bunch. And so it's really cool to talk about him uh, to people I think he cares about. Um, mm. We live in the Houston area. We're born in California, from Mississippi, and we've been in Texas for like the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, life's, life's cool. We got two kids, uh, beautiful chocolate baby mama. Life's good. That's great. Yeah. I, I met you um, at Summit this year with 150 kids from the Houston area that were doing mm-hmm. work in Lake Charles. And you spoke every night uh, there, which is just um, incredible. I mean, you just have a, a, an amazing gift to both tell stories, connect with not just kids, but adults, but to people, mm-hmm. um, but also to be super authentic. So it's not like you're shellacking a bunch of spiritual stuff on it. Yeah. As much as you are just showing up and telling your own truth in the light of who God is. Amen, dude. And Amen. That's the just, goal. Yeah. It's just, just beautiful. So you, um, part of the story that I know is that you worked um, in in youth work for a long time. Can you tell us about what? what yeah, so you to I, that? I was a uh, I was uh, an intern at a church. Uh, I was a teaching intern at a church in in Tupelo, Mississippi, and great people, great community. Kind of the folks that invited me to like mm-hmm. viewing following Jesus as like a an invitation to discipleship and not just going to church on Sunday. And uh, that community was awesome and super gracious and let me like teach and lead in areas I was super unqualified to teach and lead in. Yeah. Um, one of those was they gave me a job as like the part-time youth director um, of one of the, the satellite campuses. And it was life-giving and a joy and it paid me next to nothing. <laughs> so right. it was like I had just <laughs> enough responsibility uh, to like not hurt anything. And I got just enough pay to get by, which I think was welcome to the church. Yeah, it's ministry, bro. <laughs> it's ministry. And then, then I had the nerve to like say I'm gonna do artistry too, and everything that does not pay well, entry yeah. level wise. <laughs> um, so we're just thugging it for a minute, and uh, I, I think it was one of my favorite times because I think the Lord was really just gracious to put me in positions to like keep me like, not not humble necessarily, but um, I don't know if that's if that's his vibe. I think it was more like you are you're clearly growing and yeah. you're dependent on people that are furthering your growth yeah so this church was like we're not gonna just throw you out in the woods and just hope you figure it out but like they were super intentional about pouring into me and letting me relate to kids yeah. yeah and then seeing the value of like like don't become so you know enthralled with like the stage where you can say to the kids but like what kind of relationships can you build oh that's good um so it, it was it was it was awesome um great church great experience how and, long were you there uh, I was with the Orchard for about four and a half years. Okay. Um, and then... So you were, how, how old were you then? Because you're like super young. Well, uh, I feel otherwise. Um, <laughs> Kids will do that to you. Dude. But I'm just saying. I'm, I, honestly, like, I hit the 30s this year. And, <laughs> like, that isn't... Like, the, the, the word 30 doesn't say anything. Having two kids, that's oh, what that's makes it. you feel that's old, it. bro. No, no, that'll age you Gosh. overnight. You can't do the Done. TikTok dances anymore. <laughs> uh, I just lost all sense of cool. Uh, no, so I, I was with the Orchard when I turned 21. Okay. Uh, so from 21 to 25. Um, and then we moved to San Antonio for three years, and then we've been in Houston for two. Okay. Mm-hmm. And in San Antonio, you worked at a Methodist church there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and were, was a youth, were well, a youth I was doing youth and college. Okay. Um, we actually decided to plant uh, a Wesley Foundation at UTSA. Oh, right on! And um, it was it was it was a cool experience. It was hard. Um, yeah. Just the church dynamic was was interesting, um, given like the the space we were in. So the church invited me to kind of come and be like this youth guy, 
because we had an interesting church dynamic at the time there was a lot of unchurched youth kids there and a lot of them were like you know uh, interested in basketball and rap music and anime and i'm like i'm into those things so yeah. <laughs> it's kind of made sense in that space uh and then also trying to tell them about jesus and like you know pouring to them but then at the same time uh just san antonio as the city is it's a beautiful city it's uh it's it's it was a new experience for us and we had a lot of just life transformation happen within us i think part of the story i told with you know the kids was like my wife had you know uterine cancer we experienced mm. miscarriage there loss of family all this kind of just hard stuff family wise and we kind of came into a church space that was like needing us to like lead well and serve well but also we really needed them um and so it was one of those moments where I felt like we we got to see some of the church at its best. Like the, like the body of Christ really came around us in some really cool ways. Wow. Uh, supported us through the whole cancer thing, and uh, we had our first kid there. They super supported us in that time, and it was it was a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a wild one. I felt like we were more blessed by the church than we actually uh, worked or served there. But um, mm-hmm. just it was a gift of the season. That's great. Can we? I, I like to like like explore some of that just a bit because there's a lot you just said right yeah so, yeah, yeah so you are youth director in your mid-20s mm-hmm. you're married mm-hmm. uh, y'all are unable to have well you have a, a miscarriage your wife has cancer and miscarriages is that right yeah T- can you yeah so it, it was interesting because like i'm not sure how this is for most most folks but like miscarriage was not a conversation growing up i right. i didn't know people had them i didn't know what they were when we, when we first got pregnant um, I was just like, let's tell everybody. I got, I got a poem about this. I got a sermon about it. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching on Sunday. Everybody's about to know. And my wife was like, hey, we probably should wait, you know, a little while before we say anything. I'm like, why? She was like, well, typically you don't say anything until after the first trimester. That's when you know for sure it's a thing. And I'm like, it's a thing. It's right a now. thing. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm just super green, right? Um, mm. we, we go, we make it 13 weeks and uh, lose the baby. And just wrecked us. Like it was like all this excitement and just kind of just deflated. And at the time, theologically, faith wise, I didn't have a category to put this kind of grief in. Um, I think the word lament is pretty popular in the church right now, but we didn't really have that uh, that terminology or that kind of just understanding of life could go this way. Like if God's right. for me, who could be against, right? Everything's supposed right. to be successful and great and right, awesome. Right. And then we were just kind of hit with this ugly disappointment. Um, that then snowballed into, you know, after you have a miscarriage, you have a DNC, they kind of take all the content out and, um, it ended up metastasizing within my wife. And so she has this cancer thing now. Um, and so it was just a season of just suck. Um, it was really hard. And we had some, some friends from the church that we actually knew before we came on staff there and they were just like, Hey, we have this, uh, this lake property. You want you guys to go out there for a week and take some time and just be. And we took him up on that. We ended up sitting out there and for maybe the first like three, four days, just crying mm-hmm. and being upset and uh, aiming that frustration at the Lord and being like, we don't like you right now. Yeah, right. Um, and I think that was one of those moments where he was maturing our faith and maturing our understanding of him um, to not just be like, I'm going to help you avoid bad things, but I can be with you in the midst of right, right. ugly things. Right. Um, and he's a big enough boy to, to handle our frustration. So. Um, yeah, we, which, which, uh, it, the church often doesn't teach people oh, um, how to move through those deep portions of pain, yeah. at least in, in the church I grew up in, in the theo- no, theology and that it, it was to keep us away from that pain yeah. and it was to allow us to bypass that. Yeah. And so often when we go through really portions of our journey that, um, that, that are dark mm-hmm. and bring a deep sense of disillusionment and question the very existence of the God that we've been handed as kids. Mm. We have not been given a faith that's, um, that's, that has taught practices, you know, Come on, dude. Um, of, of like what you had said, we yelled at God. Like that's like, you can't do this. Oh, hell yeah, you can. It's in like fact, a third of scriptures. If, yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, we need to practice that. We yeah. need to teach people yeah. how to yell back at God. Yeah. Right? Yeah, dude. So, well, and I, I feel like, and part of this was like I was telling the kids at Summit, right? Like, you get this story and you start building yeah. expectations around this story. Right. Like, the story goes, uh, I was bad. God is good. He did something good so I can no longer be bad. Now, if, as long as I'm not bad, bad things won't happen. And eventually right. I go to the place that's good later on. 
And like, that's like the summation of what we view of the gospel. And the reality of a story is like, that stuff still happens even after Jesus. Uh, in fact, Jesus's promise to us is to be with us even to the ends of the age, knowing that the age is crazy. Like right. bad stuff's going to continue right. to happen. That rain's going to happen on the just and the unjust. That's and right. also, I'm not always just, like right. being totally honest. Right. Um, right. And, and so the, the idea of him being like Emmanuel, like God with us yes. still um, in the grief, in the difficulty, like it's, it's just a, it's a nuance of the story that I think we need to tell better. Absolutely. There's, we, um, we talked at a conversation, um, um, with Brian McLaren. And one of the things he had mentioned was that the fact is if we start with all the omnis of God, which mm-hmm. is not in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, he's that omnipresent. Yeah. And omnipresent if we start with all these things that are already abstract that mm-hmm. don't, aren't grounded mm. in, in, in reality, then it's it's starting from an abstract place. Yeah. And so if we're then in really deep pain um, that doesn't have an answer to it, mm. but we've been taught that God is omnipotent, yeah. and we know what that power is. Mm-hmm. Power is being able to change anything from the outside. Just fix it. Right? Fix it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't fix it, then there's a question of your power and your love. Mm. But then when we come to the gospel, we see that God's love is God's power. Mm. I get, I think at the end of the day, it's the only power God has. Mm. Right. And wow. so that, that love can meet us in the depth of our pain. Um, like you said, that can, that's Emmanuel. Yeah. God with us. With us Come on, dude. Right. Come and on. the love of God then allows us to move through that. I wonder if that's discipleship and maturity. I think, man, I, I, I think that's a good word. I think it's a really good word, especially when, you're again you're handed this kind of story that says it's supposed to be perfect after you've put the you've punched the jesus card right like <laughs> right like I've, I've been punching it <laughs> I've been punching, i punched it a number of times man look i'm out here i'm out here with you man um but i i would say the church has not done a great job of speaking into that but i will say there there have been moments that where the lord has just put people in our lives that yes. help us do that well yes so not always the yeah. church but like church people or god's people yeah um I've had a way of showing up really, just really huge mm. ways in our lives um, mm. that have been a gift to us. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's that's really true too, isn't it? Is that maybe it's not just, you know, quote unquote, the church, but the mm. people God, or just people <laughs> that on, God man. uses. Come on. Dude, when you, when you read the story, I'm like, like again, I, like story matters a lot to me. So I'm reading scripture yeah. from this kind of nuanced perspective. And when I'm reading, I'm like, all these heroes suck at being heroes. Like, oh. None of oh. them are great. Oh, no, they are not great. <laughs> none of them right? are great. It's like a family of like really dysfunctional, toxic people. Horrible. And the Lord's like, yeah, I'm with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are my people. Those are my guys, you know? <laughs> you know, it's like it's, that weird cousin you don't want to tell anybody about. Right. God's like, it's my I guy. Yeah, it's my guy. That's He's my on guy. my team. Watch yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, so so my, my daughter is like really, really into Encanto right now. Okay. Like, and, and the movie's all about like, Dealing with family dysfunction, stuff yeah. we don't talk about. Like, we don't talk about Bruno. Like, <laughs> anybody talking about this guy. And everybody's put on this perfect front. And that's like the, I think that's what the church tries to do. Like, we yeah. don't talk about the bad stuff and we don't deal with yeah. what's, what's really going on. We put this perfect picture out there and it's, 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 it corrodes what, what I think the Lord really wants to do. So, in, in the movie, you start to see transformation happen when people are starting to deal with their own ugliness and yes. their baggage. Yeah. And that's a powerful story. It's actually the story scripture is telling. But we don't want to tell that story. No, that's right. That's right. And I think that's where what I'm excited about in hearing you speak and kind of other aspects of the church that I get to be a part of and around mm. is I think that there's a growing, there is this massive frustration with um, the one size fits all narrative that the church has spoken. Yeah. And that what we have to be able to do is teach people how to live through the different um, developmental spaces of mm, their lives. Yeah. So the faith I was giving as a eight year old or as a thirteen year old yeah. should not be the faith that I'm operating out of as a fifty five year old. Come on, dude. Right. That if what I believe at fifteen is what I believe at fifty, I've not grown. Mm, right. Yeah. Um, and I really believe then that the church needs to create processes. Um, um, that allow us to deal with our own human experiences in a real, just like down to earth base level. That's good. Dude. Right. That's good. Um, Processes or maybe even just space. Like I think mm. part of the issues, at least that I've seen is when you try to create a process that 
eventually becomes a, this is the cookie cutter way it has to go. Right, right. You know, right. rather good. than just saying, we want to make space for you to have questions. We right. want to make space for you to right. be frustrated. Right. Like, like when we were grieving, no one was like, hey, here's a book. Here's a podcast. Deal with your grief that way. It was yeah. more like, we have a lake house. Go be in this space and be angry. Right. And I, right. think, I think that's what I think the church probably needs to be able to step into is create a space for any kind of emotion, that's any right. kind of journey, any kind of, you know, theological understanding. If you think about it, like that's what the disciples were. It's a whole bunch of guys who didn't agree with things politically, theologically. Yes. Uh, they had different backgrounds and they probably had each other's throats a lot of times. Right. Absolutely. You have a, a zealot and a tax collector in the same group. And they don't probably don't like each other very much, right. but there's a space for them to come and be all of that with Jesus. Ma- like Matthew's not any less of a tax collector when he hangs with Jesus. The boys are any less, you know, zealots when they're hanging with Jesus. They're still fishermen, but like come and be all of that here in this space with me. That's Sometimes right. Jesus even says, let's go away. Let's go find another space to be in away from the crowds, away from yeah. all of this stuff, just so we can just be for a second yeah. and have a space that way. So I don't know if, I don't know if that looks like, I don't know how you program that because we're really big in programming in the church. <laughs> right. um, like, like this retreat we're going to do, just just retreat. <laughs> we'll just retreat. It's like, nah, we got to retreat and do something. It's like, yeah. nah, just the retreat's good. That's good. That's yeah. good. To create that space. Um, and then the space itself then becomes that place of sacredness of whatever needs to happen. Almost like the Holy Spirit might actually do something in the space. You know oh. what I mean? Like, oh, we don't have to do it. Like, maybe, oh, maybe he's good at that. That's great. That's great. So coming out of that or walking through maybe not coming out but walking mm. through that space of of grief um um with your wife what what emerged out of that what what came next what what happened so we uh we were still in a place of um i would say i would say we grieved for probably obviously longer than just that that time at the lake um but that season kind of carried over for a while mm. and you know, my job is like I'm, I'm the key speaker when it comes to like our youth and college program, and mm-hmm. uh, there were just certain you know things I would say you know on, on a on a Wednesday and a Sunday night that I come home and my wife be like, "Do you really think that? Like, do you really believe that?" Mm. And I would say at a surface level, maybe I did, but it, it there became this like maturing of our faith when we just have conversations around the dinner table of, man, there are certain there are certain things that sound better to say from a stage that don't really apply to our lives. Um, And so we we started this this kind of ongoing conversation around like, what does healing look like for us? And for me, healing looked like move on to the next thing. Um, And so I was like, okay, we can't have kids. Let's let's talk about adoption or foster care and all this stuff. And we had a really awesome foster to adopt ministry at our church. And so I was, we were already kind of serving in that capacity anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would bring that up to her. And what I discovered is the way I heal is very different than the way she heals. I'm ready to like go to the next thing. She's like, it actually hurts me more when you say that. When you, yeah. Um, and so we, the little, not only a maturing of our faith, but a maturing of our marriage, like learning how we heal with things, how we deal with stuff together. Um, and then learning how to respect each other's space in that. Mm-hmm. So there was just a, a season of like pain, but it's, this kind of goes this way for a lot of people that, that pain is a maturing agent. Yeah. Um, and so eventually, uh, you know, I, I stopped bringing up adoption or foster care altogether. Um, and we kind of hit this stride where things were getting better. And it was easier to talk about what happened. It's easier to talk about the cancer, easier to talk about the treatments, all the stuff. And um, we had a friend reach out to us. We were, we were godparents for these kids. And the mother of, of these kids reaches out to us and she's like, hey, um, you know, things are getting pretty rough between me and my husband. And we're you know about to split. And part of that is infidelity. And uh, I'm pregnant right now, not with by him. And um, I'm unable to take care of this child. And uh, the biological father is uninterested in being in the life of this child. Uh, would you guys consider adopting this kid? And she told this to my wife, and I'm thinking, oh, she's about to flip out. Like every time I bring this stuff up, it's, it, yeah, it's not a good it's conversation. Yeah. And she tells her, we'll pray about it. They get off the phone, hmm. and I'm like, <laughs> You want to talk to me about this? <laughs> yeah. was, what's up? And she was like, wow. uh, the the first emotion that she felt was honored that oh. you know she would ask. And, oh. and my wife and I are very we're different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how y'all land theologically with this. I hear from the Lord by studying and by emotional unctions. And yep. she has moments where she actually hears the voice of God, which I wow. think is really cool and I'm super jealous about. Uh, and she felt like the voice of God told her. You married up. I married way up, <laughs> way up. You can look at her until I married up. Yeah. Um, but nah, like she felt the Lord telling her like uh, to go for it. Strangely enough, he tells her go for it, and it won't work out. 
and it won't uh, work out. Conflicting messages, um, but that's what she hears. And so we, we, we lean into that, we pray into it, and we say yes. And, and you know the adoption process is mm-hmm. like, it's not one yes. It's a whole lot of oh, yeses. Yeah. It's, it's several yeses. And it's a thousand form. maybes and Oh my, C's. come on, dude. Right? People come and check your home out, and they have oh, to say God. a yes to you. And it's, it's a whole lot of, it's a process. Um, but in that, she kept hearing the Lord say, lean in, go for it, and it won't work out. Um, so we. Did she tell you that up front? She did, wow. up front. I was, uh, coincidentally, I was actually speaking at a camp uh, in in Kingwood the next time. We're, we're living in San Antonio. Uh, I was speaking at a camp in Kingwood. And on the way back, she calls me and she was like, hey, uh, remember how the Lord was saying to lean in and to go for this? And I was like, yeah, cool, awesome. Don't tell me we're backing out now because we're several thousand dollars into this thing. Uh, she's like, no, no change, but also I'm pregnant. I'm like, well, yay that. <laughs> um, so a whole bunch of things like we're saying yes to this. We're pregnant here, and um, I want to say four weeks go by, and we ended up losing that pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. And there was a, it was like it was a familiar kind of grief. At this point in time, it's our third miscarriage. Um, oh, wow. And uh, it's interesting. So when you're when you're pregnant, the the hormone that tells you that you're pregnant when you pee on the stick, uh, it's the hormone it's looking for is the same hormone that spikes when the cancer returns. And so we're not even sure if like, if it's a good thing that we're, you know, tested positive for pregnancy. We're kind of nervous about what that whole yeah. thing is. Um, go to the hospital. They confirm it is. Uh, the doctor, they confirm it's pregnancy. But we ended up losing the pregnancy four weeks later. So we're in the uh, we're in the emergency room. And we're doing the whole DNC thing, all that. And um, there was just a weird kind of peace that we had. And we're sitting in there looking up things on the registry for our adopted daughter to come. And she was reminded of the Lord telling her lean in and it won't work out and it's not going to go like you want it to go. And hmm. we are interpreting that on the back end of saying that this thing, uh, this, this pregnancy would not work out, but there was also a weird kind of contentedness we had. It was really bizarre because the, the nurses would come in to tell us that we had like to confirm the miscarriage. And we're like looking up stuff on the baby registry and they were like, Hey, maybe you don't know what a miscarriage means, but there's no more baby. And we're like, yeah, we, <laughs> We know. Um, we got it. Uh, this, this is Sarah and Abraham looking up their registry. In a, you know, I was like, hey, I don't know if you hey, know. Folks, so let, me, <laughs> let me just tell you. Yeah. <laughs> this ain't going to happen. It, 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 it yeah. seemed really bizarre, yeah. but like we were kind of like at peace. And yeah. eventually my wife was like kind of frustrated that she was at peace. Um, but we were at peace with the whole thing. And, and our, I think our eyes were so just locked in on, on Emerson uh, as our daughter um, that – there was just a, a contentedness that we had um, in the midst of another, you know, thing to grieve. So, um, yeah, I would say that Emmy was Emmy was born on on March thirteenth, and uh, it, it, it's really bizarre, like all the stuff the Lord did in her her coming here, and uh, again support from our church and our people, and like really small weird gifts that the Lord kind of gave us in that yeah. in that time when she was born. Um, she she like locks eyes on my wife, and like leans into her completely she wouldn't nurse at first um and the only one she would take a bottle from was like my wife and so there was this weird bonding moment that they had that i think was really really healing oh, for her um we had uh, an interesting experience with the birth monitor where we just could we invited her to our our, um, our baby shower and our church had a chance to honor her and love on her for the decision that she was making and um it was just a really really sweet time weird stuff the lord did where my daughter looks just like my mom like people see my daughter and she looks so much like my mom really? it's crazy no biological connection there um just really sweet things the lord did in that season i felt like mm. man this is i think the story was going to go where the story was going to go but there's really small little side stories he's kind of putting in that um that have just added so much value to mm. it so it's crazy um but what's, good. what's the part of that that didn't work out um, I think where I, how I would discern it, I would think it was the biological pregnancy, like okay. our pregnancy. Uh, mm-hmm. But to keep leaning into it, keep leaning in. Mm, that's good. That's good. I'm continually reminded that um, another word for faith is risk. Ooh-wee. Is that you just have to risk forward, <laughs> right? Ooh wee. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's that's the. It's not going to work out, but you got to mm. risk it forward. It's, uh, it's and, th- and there are certain things I think that are not worth the risk. Um, like personally, I think that there, there are certain, there are certain risks I'm invited to that I'm like, yeah, I'm not willing to risk, you know, 
my emotional health, my family, you know, right, like right. my integrity. There's certain things I'm not willing to no. risk. But all the things the Lord invites me to, they're yeah. they're good. They are risky though, right? They're risky. Like they're they're harder. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think I think that there that faith understood is not certainty. Mm. That's it's yeah. it's you know, that when when like Dietrich Bonhoeffer says when 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 the the Lord invites a person to come follow him, he he invites them to he bids them come and die. Mm. Right? And yeah. so there's that sense in which there's all these things that we're laying down of our it's surrender. It's this yeah. process of just saying, not my will, but your will be done, which totally sucks. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Until it doesn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just keep on. Keep leaning in. We're going somewhere. I promise. I, 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 love, I love the word invite when we talk about uh, the Lord because a yeah. lot of times, I, mean, I grew up in a faith tradition where it was like, the Lord's going to make you do this. Yeah. Or, you know, he's going to like force you into it. And that was a... Uh, Oh. Just, that, that language is always a little jarring to me. Yeah, and uh, also just seems like scripturally speaking, there's there's so much invitation that the Lord makes. When Jesus says, "Follow me," that's not a that's not a command. That's an invitation. Mm-hmm. Come, be on a journey with me. Lean into this thing. And like I see as Lewis is uh, his perspective when he's like, you know, the Lord does not force; he woos. Right? Yeah, like he's. That's a great I, I, I want to woo you into this yeah. into this relationship into this journey. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of ways our life would be less impressive and less worthwhile had we not accepted those invitations, but I've never sensed him forcing that. I've mm. always, it always feels like an invitation. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I noticed that uh, there was two kids uh, that uh, are running <laughs> around in your life. What, what happened? happened? <laughs> yeah. 2020 happened, man. Um, Netflix wasn't cranking shows out fast enough. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, come on now. Uh, <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, so so we uh, again, when, whenever whenever you pee on the stick, it's looking for that hormone, and we found out we were pregnant, and we weren't sure what that meant. Mm. It's also worth noting that we moved to this uh, to this side of the world um, March of 2020. So my daughter's birthday is the 13th. We celebrated her birthday, and the 13th um, was a Saturday. Uh, and it was Friday and we're celebrating and we had some friends that were saying like, yo, we, uh, we're not gonna make it to the, to the, the birthday party cause we just came from out of the country. We need to quarantine. I'm like quarantine. What's that? It's a weird word. Probably never hear that again. Um, and they were like the news the next day was governor Abbott talking about, you know, whole thing's about to shut down. And we're like, what? we probably should move. <laughs> so we weren't supposed to move until like the top of April, but because things were getting kind of weird, we went ahead and just drove, you know, to Houston you know, got in our apartment early. Everybody was fine with that. And then, so you took another job in Houston. Yeah. At church. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we came to the church in Houston, uh, in the Woodlands area. And, um, yeah, we get here and then the whole world shuts down. <laughs> and so we're in an apartment with a two year old. Um, no, we're in an apartment with a one year old and, uh, can't leave it. And it was, um, it was a wild time. Um, so we're hanging out and we are enjoying our quality time and we find out that we're pregnant. But the weird thing is I just taken this job so we don't have insurance just yet. So we can't like go to confirm this thing. So we don't know is this pregnancy, is this cancer? We don't have the kind of insurance to just pop up and to get a visit and so it's just like a weird season. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, I talk a lot about thorns and thistles. There's a, a way in which like brokenness has a chance to like linger if you don't deal with some of the stuff mm-hmm. and there's some lingering narratives around like we don't know if we can celebrate this just yet um uh. all that so we uh we find out that it is in fact a pregnancy it's a fat little boy swimming around inside my wife and um we are excited about it but again we've, we've been down this road before never had you know a, a pregnancy go to completion and so we're just like we'll see uh, and he keeps growing and growing. He gets bigger and bigger. Eventually, it gets easier to celebrate it. And um, December 14th, Fat Man shows up. And uh, our family has been blessed ever since. So we have Maverick Elijah. Um, it's our second dude. And uh, he's a party. He is a beast. He's a party. Kid, <laughs> he's so thick. He, and he's a force of nature, too. Just yeah. wa- watch him walk around. He's a tank. He is a tank. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we've actually never seen Top Gun. Uh, I feel like we should watch it uh, at some point. We've never seen the movie. Well, so our our daughter our daughter's name is Emerson, which means brave. 
And I was like, yo, I really wish we just named her Brave. Like, I love the idea of, like, an yeah. adjective name. Yeah. And so we were playing around with the idea of, like, what's the what's the name for the boy? Like, we want to name him something that we can consistently speak over him. And, like, we wanted an adjective name. And uh, all the adjective names for boys kind of just suck. They weren't great. Um, and so we were reading through, like, this list of names. And we saw Maverick. And I was like, I didn't know that was an adjective. And so I'm looking up what it means. It's, like, this independent thinker, somebody who goes their own way. Uh, beat of their own drum, which is my boy. Um, a force that will not be stopped by societal norms. That's him. <laughs> that is him. Yeah. Bro, like that's, that's my guy. Yeah. And you're going to do a name change at the age of 16 to compliance. Uh, come on. Come on. <laughs> Little C. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, man, it was poor decisions. Um, but he, he, he lives up to it. So yeah, that's that's it. We have to watch Top Gun though. Eventually, we'll watch it. That's that's awesome. So you um, recently have kind of moved out of the church and speaking, kind of um, yeah, um, as as your full time profession calling right now. Yeah, I, when people ask what I do, I say I I am a poet and storyteller. Um, yeah. I think that in the church world, I'm a preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the non church world, poet and storyteller, and it's it's super fun, um, super life giving. A lot of the things I've I've kind of grown into as far as like my my view of Jesus is this like profound storyteller that's inviting folks to live a different story. Mm. That's great. Yeah, man. That's great. Um, could you could you offer a poem for us today? Is that something? That's... Yeah, that's easy. That's easy. Uh, I, like, I like poems a lot. <laughs> we do too. <laughs> I like poems a lot. Uh, this is a joy I share a lot. Uh, it's called the morning poem. Uh, she. She's fighting. She's fighting against the morning. Her love bears grief and her smile is still in mourning. Her heart seems broken beyond repair. Her hopes have changed with past pains and anguish and she prays that tomorrow doesn't come. She doesn't trust the sun because she's been burned so many times before and the people she has trusted seem to hurt her all the more. They've impersonated light but death on what was pure so now everything that's bright just reminds her of the morgue and she hates it she wish she could erase all of the faces that made themselves shine by pointing out her dark places now every sunrise she hides as if her place is to run from the sun so that she doesn't disgrace if they told her that god can never fix what she had broken that she was just the sum total of all her worst moments and that she was born a sinner so that's what she must be and the heavens have no place for all the sinners like she so she runs she runs from the morning she listens to the serpent as she eats from the tree and gives Adam the day while she walks in the eve. And whenever God calls, she hides in the leaves, ashamed to be seen. The lies she was told she believes and says, who could ever love this darkness of me? She'll play with suicide like a song on repeat. She could tell you every word and could sing them on key. See her nightmares. They'll go nowhere till they know where they're not welcome. And she's been losing sleep. Her spirit's getting weak, and we have seven days of peace that we could offer to her need because the harvest bears fruit when the laborers intercede, but we don't want to admit that we've been there before because exposing someone's lack makes us feel like we have more, but showing someone they're poor doesn't automatically make you rich. While blowing out someone's candle doesn't mean that yours is lit. We exist to tell how God's grace has set us free, not to be Pharisees or condemners of the weak, but that we were saved by grace, not by works over letter. And we were broken too until the cross put us together. See Christ as the true sun that will rise and shine forever. So he tells her, if you fear that my morning will harm you, I will come to you and be your knight in shining armor. I'll save and wrap you in the arms of my grace. I'll step down from the brightness of my glory to the grave because I know the darkness must flee whenever light comes. And it may take your eyes a few moments to adjust and realize that I became the darkness that was and I died so that you would have the brightness of my love. His love rescued us when we did not deserve it. Sacrifice his glory as a king to be a servant and thus should go to show us all the way that we were purposed. It is not our greatness, but our brokenness he works with because it's not until you're broken that he comes to make you perfect of a girl who's tired of fighting against the day. Jesus shed his blood so he could wash your sins away so that when he returns to find a bride without a spot or blemish and heal you of your scars by his scars you are forgiven he'll wash you like the dawn and every day that you are given and he will make you perfect on the day that he is finished but until that day comes, trust the beauty he is forming and know that his mercies come new every morning. It is morning. Good morning. I pray that you would never fear tomorrow. 
Though whatever made you hollow, God can use that vacant space to fill with grace, make his light seep through your every scar and every wound. Maybe things that you've been through will makes him shine in you. For you are the explicit reason that the sun rose. So you are the underlining glory of a sunrise. Good morning, beautiful. You make morning beautiful. Mercy meets pain just to make his glory viewable. You show that God has grace, strength, mercy to save, and patience to give yet another morning. So good morning, beautiful. You you were worth waking up for. Amen. Amen. Want snaps? Want snaps? Low. Preach, fam. Low. I just this is like sacred ground, dude. Hallelujah, Jesus! Come on, come on, Lord. That is amazing. Come on, Lord. Listen, that that's amazing. I just yeah. think about the kids that we're working with mm. and um, the amount of pain that um, that kids have gone through over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that waking up um, is sometimes the most difficult thing to do, right? Mm. And that um, what that's just freaking beautiful. Mm. And that we have to be able to offer and be grace mm. right come on um to the the students to the folks that were around i mean and that's your ministry i'm watching you mm-hmm. do this i'm watching you do this in real time um um not shellac some kind of spiritual spirituality over something but yeah. offer um offer grace in a way that is tangible and real and and i I would say incarnate right like like put put flesh and bones on what it means to receive the grace of god yeah as opposed to making it like spiritual platitudes you're trying to get kids to live up into or whatever like there's there's an invitation to see the love of god the grace of god the beauty and the invitation um and it's hard to see that if you don't see somebody walking in it and authentically, right. right? Right. So Jesus becoming like flesh is like, let me put bone in flesh to what it means to be living life with deity. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's right. That's right. And and part partly I, I want to keep coming back to this thing that I'm wrestling with because mm. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's all about me, right? Um, <laughs> that it's often, an honest show. Often, <laughs> <laughs> often what we've done is we've made Christianity into a system of beliefs. Mm. And say, if you believe these things, like a Pez dispenser, grace will pop out. Wow. And so when I hear poems like yours, or when I'm, I'm in a space where there is enough vulnerability, yeah. I realize that, that, that we swim in an ocean of grace, right? And that the church should mm. not be Pez dispensers saying, live up to it if you are this, mm. if you believe these things. Yeah. But an invitation yeah. to become who you are. That's good, dude. Right? That's good. That's and good. so 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 part of that, um, golly, part of that in that poem that I hear, particularly with with young people, is that they are blocked out by them, their own experiences. Mm. And that the church is the relationships, the work, the invitation is to be a mirror. Yeah. Yeah, a counter narrative. Come on, dude. You know, well, and, and when you're specifically for like for for kids and just for all of us, really, because yeah, we yeah, right, never right, outgrow right, this. But right, right. When, when you're younger, something happens, and the the best your brain can do to make you feel safe is you create a narrative around that experience, right? So mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I joke about this all the time, but like, we're teaching our daughter to like poop in the potty, like it's a it's a thing she needs to know how to do as a human. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's helpful. We're trying. We're trying our Jeff, best. Jeff, you, you, you're taking notes, take right? Taking notes, bro. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a journey. Be prepared. <laughs> so, 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 so the potty train, we started incentivizing like our little girl would like whenever she you know successfully poops in the potty, you know, she gets something. Yeah. And it's mostly been a donut. Um, <laughs> that's what she wants. Sprinkle donuts. Um, it's going to be an interesting... Uh, <laughs> man. Man. So, and she knows this, right? So once she goes uh, successfully, she's like, yo... I want to donut now And So we, we'll take her to the bathroom and, and she's like actively trying to poop To get the donut 
and I've never, I never. It's the thing, bro. It's the thing. She's trying her hardest. Um, about a month ago, she gets off the toilet and she couldn't go, and she's she looks super dejected. She looks really sad. And we didn't try to teach her this, but how she internalized this moment is: if I cannot give what I don't have to give, I'm somehow not worth celebrating, right? And there's a whole narrative forming around this, like I have to give something to show that I'm worth celebrating. We all go crazy when she does it, and when she doesn't, when she can't, we don't celebrate. So she's internalizing this and creating a story out of it. And so what we've had to do as parents is shift what we celebrate. Like we can't just celebrate when she's able to give something she doesn't always have. But we can celebrate when you wash your hands. We can celebrate when you flush the toilet. Like all those are things that we now can celebrate. And it's not on purpose that this happens, but sometimes the world we live in, we set up metrics that are saying you're worthwhile if you do X, Y, or Z. And those yeah. things aren't bad. Yeah. But if you start to form a narrative that like shame kind of creeps into, it's like we have a lot of kids who are out here living a narrative that says you're only worthwhile if you can do X, Y, or Z. That's right. And that's crippling because mm. they, they're not perfect and they can't live up to that measurement. Right. And they would be shamed if they admit it. And so I think the church has to begin to do is, again, tell that counter narrative that says you start off from a place of loved and lovable. You start mm. off there. It's where you, it's where you end the story in. There's some of my, my theological friends that think our story starts as like you were sinners and no. then you no. came into this gospel yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Story starts off with me being a son first. And then I do some broken things. And I believe broken narrative, sure. But I start off as a son. And so pointing attention back to you already loved, you're already a child, you're already made in God's image, you're already worthwhile. And there's been an ugly story maybe handed to you or maybe a broken way of looking at yourself or the world or God or your friends. Those things those things happen. Mm -hmm. But to reroute that story and bring you back to who you actually are, that, that the metric is that the bar set low for you. Mm -hmm. You're already loved. It starts off at, at, at Jesus actually having a heart for you before you earn him. You never earn him. Um, he's just really into you. I think telling that story, whether it's in poetry or preaching or whatever it is, uh, it's 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 the journey I think we're invited to. As Absolutely. Ministers. It's almost as if um, achieving for trying to produce something is the issue. Mm. Right. Yeah. That yeah. we that the church has to say, be careful, mm. be careful, because what you'll do is that you'll get accolades there, but you'll also attach your entire self-worth there. Wow. So um, always return home. And this is home right you belong you're enough you're worthy right Come on. and that's a that maybe that's a tattoo we ought to give kids at confirmation okay you know <laughs> you Kid belong tats. you're enough you're worthy I, no, we're not going post Malone on it but okay. <laughs> i know there's a gal in our community right now she tats people all the time um she got you if your parent will sign off on it we'll get you inked up <laughs> if your parents sign off on we'll get you inked up <laughs> Awesome. So let me ask this: Where does where does poetry come from in you, man? Uh, I, I I like it a lot. I grew up listening to uh, to to Biggie Smalls, uh, mm, mm. to Park, to Lil Wayne, uh, Eminem. I watched Eight Mile. I watched Eight Mile when I was way too young to watch Eight Mile. Um, <laughs> and I remember like like watching these like these battle rappers, and I'm uh -huh. like, I'm about to start battle rapping everybody. So I'm like spitting bars at my sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Like everybody was like kind of caught up in that move, yeah. Um, and so like having an appreciation for hip hop and having an appreciation for like lyrics and lyricism, um, that happened from like way way early on. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I, I do rap stuff too, and I kind of have been doing that since I was a kid. Um, I think I, I found spoken word uh, freshman year of college when I was not sure there was a space for you know the the energy around hip hop and like Christian circles. Um, right. Christian rap's way better now. It was terrible back then. I was super uninterested in Christian rap back then. Um, now it's now it's dope. But I was like, okay, my, my friends are doing this poetry thing. I'll try this out. Uh, I was super not good at it, but they kept letting me spit. And um, yeah, I think there's a there's a a way in which I try to be authentic with the Lord when I journal. Mm. And sometimes that's just journaling. Sometimes it's poetry. But it's like this is just me being who I am on paper. Um, and then he makes it worshipful. So a, a poem like you just did, does it start with, like I have a friend who says, uh, who's a poet that says that it starts with a beat inside of him, mm. like almost like a rhythm. Mm. And then the words form around that rhythm. And I have other friends that say, no, it starts with a word that begins to eat on me and chew on me. And then all these other things begin to form around. Yeah. Like, we're, like a poem like that. For me, it's a, it starts with an image. So, mm. so that specific poem was actually written inspired by my sister. Uh, was you know had an interesting relationship with the church and her dynamic and growing up and everything and so a lot of those lines like uh, you know they they made themselves shine by pointing out her dark places like yeah. that was like our 
unhealthy church dynamic, not knowing how to receive her. Uh, and so it started with an image of her um, and began like, so it, that, that became kind of like um, allegorical for uh, more than just her, but like people in general, and then became more like the body of Christ. So there's several imageries that we got to borrow from like, uh, you know, gives Adam the day while she walks in the Eve. Like there's, there's ways which we're kind of borrowing from the narrative of scripture mm-hmm. in that, but it's, 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 it's setting up this kind of allegorical piece of this images of her, but I want that to also represent any woman. Then I want it to represent any dude and I want it to represent the church. And so once I get that picture for anything, it kind of like starts in a place of, I see it now I want to make it seen bigger and now I want to make it felt. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Wow. You're a gift, dude. You're a gift. A couple rapid fire questions. Shoot them. Um, what are you reading right now mm. um, that is um, that's changing or helping your imagination in terms of um, just life and, and all that? Uh, I'm going to go the non-impressive route. Come on. Um, I feel like a lot of folks are like, oh, I'm reading. Both. I'm not reading much right now. Um, I was reading like uh, I was re- I was reading. Uh, what is my guy's book? Ah, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help. Uh... <laughs> actually, actually, it helped me a lot. Um, <laughs> Sacred Fire. <laughs> that helped a lot. Like, Goblet of Fire. Yeah. It helped a lot. Uh, so I was reading a book called Sacred Fire, uh, but I just put it down. I've been I've been listening to a lot of stand up comedy lately. So who are you listening to? Uh, dude, so there, there, there's I have my, have my go to guys. Yeah. Um, they may be controversial. These are my go to guys. Dave Chappelle, a prophet, the the single biggest prophet of our time. I dude, think. he is, and I think he can help a lot of pastors out. Oh. Not that you need to try to be funny, but his ab- ability to communicate and to weave story together and to bring yeah. things back, like much of and to deconstruct. He deconstructs oh the heck out of culture. And what he does is, as opposed to saying, here's just my take, he invites you into his take. Yes. So there's an invitation to how yes. he tells the story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Chappelle is like mad, oh. mad gifted as a communicator. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's challenging the way I think about it. not just subject matter, but how you speak about subject matter. That's good. Um, similar guy, very controversial, Cat Williams. If you don't listen to Cat Williams, he just did this new joint. It's very interesting. Um, Cat Williams is like, he's also really raunchy. So my good Christian people. Be yeah. aware. No, no, that's right. Um, yeah, be aware. Need to take a bath afterwards. hundred percent, hundred percent. But but both of those guys have a way of giving social commentary in a yeah. way that I think that we as a church can probably learn from. That's great. Um, yeah. So Cat Williams and Dave Chappelle. That's goats. great. Music that uh, that you listen to. Kendrick you... Lamar. Good oh. lord. So now he just dropped a new album like two days ago. No, it, it was a minute ago. Uh, it was about a. I, I've, I've chewed on it for about a month. Um, no, no, he he. Didn't he no, drop that's Drake. another? Drake, oh, Drake, Drake dropped, dropped another. That was it. That was last two days ago. I, yeah. I've people heard people tell like me that. I have not listened to it. It's like house music. Yeah. I haven't listened to it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is a different. Game. I don't. I don't need singing Drake all the time, and so no. a whole album of singing Drake, I probably would enjoy. So Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. So so the, specifically this album he just did, uh, Miss Him Around the Big Steppers, yeah. was a conversation around like not only therapy but how black men interact with therapy, which is like. It's, it's a stigma around like how the black community views therapy in general, but like yeah. specifically black men, um, it was potent. Whole album is potent. It's really really good. That's great. That's really great. good. Who else? Uh, I do like Drake. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have yeah. listened to that yeah. new joint, uh, but I, I do fool with some Drake here or there. Um, and what else am I listening to? Um, I like Maverick City a lot. Maverick City's been ma- ma- and more like their first two projects. I'm still listening okay. to. I haven't listened to much of their new stuff with Kirk Franklin and those mashups. See, um, Kirk Franklin, I mean, he's I, the OG. I, I mean, we started listening to that and just, it just set us the, off. The, the Tiny Desk one? Oh, yeah. Tiny oh, Desk is. Oh, yeah. It was Tiny Desk. Dude. Yeah. His Tiny Desk was probably one of the best Tiny Desk. Oh, it was amazing. I've seen. It, <laughs> it was, was so incredible. Good. And people sleep on how good of a musician he is. Oh, he is. But, I mean, he's, I mean, just his ability to translate worship mm. into just. What he was doing Come on, dude. was off the chain. So what you have to appreciate, too, about him is, like, there there are certain things that gospel is known for, right? Like, gospel is known for, you know, really awesome vocal arrangements. Right. Um, really energetic bass lines. Like, like, there are certain things that gospel music can do really well. But where we think about gospel, especially as, as like, the gospel 
as a culture, mm-hmm. it's kind of evolved into being like it's almost like it's almost like if you're a really really good gospel musician, you then go off into these other spaces. Right. Like most no, gifted right. musicians start off in gospel. Oh, absolutely. Almost all of them. Uh, snarky puppy, like uh, uh, Corey Henry, like yeah, all yeah. these guys, they start off in like gospel settings because there's a way in which you're able to express yourself. Oh, that, and you have mentoring, that, and you're around older folks as a younger person. What Kirk Franklin did was bring all those yeah, people yeah, together yeah, 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 in right. crazy ways. Like I didn't recognize how many folks who have careers right now started off either playing or singing with Kirk Franklin. Like he's just he knows music oh, so well. Yeah, and is oh my incredible. gosh, snarky. Snarky puppy. We listened to a little of that over the and the drummer out of Snarky Puppy. I got into just a deep dive black mm. hole, amazing drummer. Who that, is it? And you realize that he he comes out of this whole church scene, kind of growing me. up in a church scene. He plays mm. with everybody, and it's just like and realizing oh, one of the things that the church has done well in terms of music, something is mentor these yeah. kids, give them space, put yep. them up, get them. And there's this like it's it's like intergenerational too. Come on, dude, come on. That, you know, I think that's when the church kind of gets towards it's like its best bag is where we're like we're doing this kind of discipling generational right. thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I wonder if hip hop would not have existed if it weren't for. Um, you know, um, um, the, the church and uh, a large portion of the black church in terms of feeding, you know, the, the industry, these, you know, a, a lot of this. I mean, because I think even anyway, that's I, 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 I play with pod, that a little bit. That's a different podcast. But, you know, I, I, I want to be on that episode, though. <laughs> I like that. one. I like that. one. I got thoughts. <laughs> that's great. Well, well, thanks so much for being here. Been we fun, really, really appreciate you. And uh, I hope this is the first of many. Um, Let's do it. And 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 not just this podcast, but in what we get to do together in our community with you in the world. So uh, mm-hmm. you're a gift. So thanks for being here. Okay. So I'm Matt Russell, Low Alleman, and this is Pod Have Mercy. Hello, neighbor. How are you? Really wanna shower you with love.